You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Cheryl Angelilli sustained a spinal cord injury from a diving accident in 1983. Fifteen years later, she took up swimming again and would become a three-time Paralympian and four-time Paralympic medalist in the sport. After retiring from swimming, Cheryl turned to wheelchair ballroom dancing. In addition to her work with the Rehabilitation Institute of Michigan, a Move United member organization, she travels the country to promote dance to other individuals with disabilities. So, Cheryl, I thought we'd start by talking a little bit about you and how you got into adaptive sports in general. Sure. Well, growing up, I was pretty much always an athlete. I started competitive swimming when I was just eight years old. And it was while I was a competitive swimmer that I was at swim practice one night and our swim coach had us doing a new racing dive in the shallow end of the pool. And I ended up hitting my head at the bottom of the pool and uh, resulted in becoming a C6 and complete quadriplegic. And, you know, I pretty much thought my swimming career was over after that. And, uh, you know, back in the 80s, people talked to me about getting into sports, but really the only thing was wheelchair basketball. And, you know, I wasn't into basketball prior to my injury. So there was really no interest in, in playing wheelchair basketball. And, uh, you know, swimming was always my, my, my great love. And I competed at a pretty high level. And, you know, um, it wasn't until I was in college and I was working as a freelance journalist and I got the opportunity to go and cover the Paralympic Games in Atlanta that I really saw what the Paralympics were all about. Sure, I'd heard about that before, but I I really didn't have a sense of what it was and what elite level competition it was until I experienced it firsthand. And the minute I got to Atlanta and got to see all of the sports and interview the athletes, I realized that I I really missed swimming and this was something that I, I wanted to do. And so I didn't realize what a lofty goal it was at the time. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a period it was like riding a bike. I was a great swimmer before. I was just getting back in the pool, right? But really, I had to learn to swim all over again because I was swimming in a completely different body. My body didn't do the things that it used to do before. So it was really uh, you know, it took me four years. Thank God the, the Paralympics are every four years, but I started training. I got a coach. And by the time the 2000 Paralympics had come around, I was ranked as one of the top 10 swimmers in the world. And I earned a spot on the U.S. Paralympic swim team, was fortunate enough to compete in Sydney. Uh, I have two bronze medals from Athens and two silver medals, medals from the Beijing Paralympic Games. So uh, I got to compete three times representing the United States, and it was absolute thrill and joy of my life. That, that that is awesome. So when did you, did you hang it up after your third your third Paralympics? I did because, like I said, I've been a lifelong swimmer, and uh, when you compete in the Paralympics, it's almost like a second job. You know, my my first job is I work in healthcare marketing, but when you compete at that level. Um, you know, it really doesn't leave time for for much more. And so I was really looking forward to trying something different. And I had always teased my teammates um, because I love dance. I was also a dancer growing up. I I took tap dance lessons and got to perform in recitals. And then, you know, I got to a certain age where, um, you know, I had to pick between swimming and dancing. And I chose 
swimming. Um, and so uh, dance was something I always loved. It. And I told my my teammates, when I retire from swimming, I'm going to get into uh, wheelchair ballroom dancing because I had seen it before. Uh, many people don't know that it is a IPC uh, sanctioned sport. It's just not one of the, the sports that is contested in the Paralympic Games. Um, we're trying to change that. Uh, we have put a bid in for Los Angeles to see if we can get it added as a sport. And so finger crossed, I would love to go back as a as a dual sport athlete in the Paralympics. But um, yeah, so by the time after Athens, uh, or I'm sorry, Beijing in 2008, I did compete for more years. I hung it up in 2014. And uh, that's when I discovered my latest passion, uh, which is wheelchair ballroom dancing. And and how did you discover wheelchair ballroom dancing? Because I think you're right. Uh, there, People just aren't familiar with, with that activity. Yeah, people would be surprised that it is a huge sport in Europe, in Asia, and it's been going on since the 1960s. And so when I wanted to get involved here, um, nobody really was doing it. And uh, and so I, I was met with some barriers. And um, I'd like to say dancing found me in a way. Uh, I had been speaking at an event and somebody had reached out to me after the event through social media and said, hey, I happened upon this this post from uh, Fred Astaire Studio in Bloomfield Hills, they had just hired a teacher who has experience with wheelchair ballroom dancing. So like, I don't know if you'd be interested, but I'm passing it along. Um, it was really odd that I, would got, I got this message out of the blue because I hadn't even talked about it in my speech. She just thought maybe it was something that I would be interested in. So I was the first person and the only person to call the studio. <laughs> and uh like I said, I, I quickly fell in love with the sport. I, I It was just, it's just, I, in a way, I can't explain it. It's just a freedom and a different type of sport that so different from swimming that um, I just fell in love with it. And uh, now I've made it my mission to kind of make it, uh, you know, well-known here in the United States and kind of be an ambassador for the sport and get more people involved and let them know what it's all about. And it's funny you mentioned the word freedom because I know that that's often a word uh, utilized in the pool and mm-hmm. and uh, when you're in the water and the freedom that it provides, uh, particularly you know, or I mean anyone, but any, but particularly an individual with a with a disability. So what what is it about dance that provides uh, freedom as well? You know, it's almost like um, now my favorite style of dance is, is I like the classics. You know, I like the what we call international. It's called international standards. So it's your your waltz, your foxtrot, your Viennese waltz. And literally, it feels like I'm floating across the dance floor when I'm dancing with my partner. So I love the speed of it. I love the beauty of it. Um, it just it's, it's just a very freeing feeling. Um, you know, as wheelchair users, it sometimes can be difficult to get from point A to point B. But um, the smoothness and the speed in which we move across the dance floor it's just exhilarating and and so if if someone um is interested in (laughs) that activity where what do you recommend to someone that's brand new or or hasn't uh gone to a dance studio in the past Sure. I would say, you know, reach out and look if there are opportunities in your area. Um, Myself and my dance partner, um, we've been working with Fred Astaire Studios across the country, and they're really committed to wanting to include adaptive dance in their curriculum. So um, that would be a great place to start if you have a Fred Astaire uh, studio in your area 
Or you can reach out to me. I have started a nonprofit um, with the help of the RIM Foundation. Uh, It is a program called Dance Mobility, and it is funded completely by the RIM Foundation. They've been supporting the program since we launched it in 2015. Um, I'm the co-founder of it, along with the owner of the Fred Astaire Dance Studio, where I work. And so what we do is we provide free monthly wheelchair ballroom training classes free of charge to individuals with disabilities. And now my partner and I, uh, my partner's name is Tamerlin. We've been going across the country and working with Fred Astaire uh, Studios to be able to teach them how to be able to teach wheelchair ballroom dancing because many of them know how to dance, but it's very different when you have a partner who is seated or uses a wheelchair. So um, so yeah, so like I said, slowly we are trying to uh, increase awareness and get more people across the United States dancing. So if they call, you know, a local Fred Astaire or other, even just other dance studio, what, what, would, what would they need or what do they need to bring? I mean, what are the what is the equipment or supplies or materials that often, uh, you know, a dancer might need? Sure. Well, if you're involved in any kind of a sport like a wheelchair basketball chair or you have a tennis chair, those lightweight chairs that have cambered wheels are going to uh, allow you to spin and turn quickly, but we have people who come in their everyday chairs and we're able to teach them in their everyday chairs as well. But certainly if they have a sports chair, it's going to be, uh, you know, much easier for them, you know, to, to move around and, and to do some of the movements that we do. And uh, which is awesome that, you know, I mean, sometimes there are not a lot of sports where you can use your everyday chair. So at least exactly, awesome. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so let's say I'm a I show up to your location. Uh, walk, walk me through how uh, a person, uh, how you would like, begin and and teach that 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 individual. Well, we're very fortunate at the studio that I I train at the Fred Astaire uh, Studio in in West Bloomfield, Michigan. Um, we have dancers uh, who are professional wheelchair dancers who um, have come from Europe. So we've got a, a husband and wife team from the Philippines. The Philippines are the world champions in world, in world paradance. They just came over a couple of weeks ago. So they're working with some of our individuals. My partner formerly competed for the country of Azerbaijan with his wheelchair partner. And then we also have a um, national champion from, from uh, Ukraine, who is able-bodied dancer, another able-bodied dancer who uh, competed with a a woman in a wheelchair and he's at our studio as well. So we have a lot of clout (laughs) here in Michigan. And so if you're in Michigan, you're in great hands uh, (laughs) in terms of if you want to, if you want to start to learn to dance, because we've got some really talented individuals with a lot of experience. And I I feel very fortunate, you know, um, my partner, when he came over from the United States, um, he had a lot of experience and uh, I feel very fortunate that, you know, I get to be able to dance with him. But, um, you know, when you walk into a studio, um, Fred Astaire, they're working on curriculum. So those teachers can, can log in and they can see different styles of dance that they can do, different figures that can do with individuals in wheelchairs. There's actually a lot they can do. Um, You know, the person in a wheelchair is an Active participant. The teacher's not just dragging them or pushing them across the dance floor. So, um, like I said, I think you'd be surprised at, at some of the things that that we're able to do in our routines. Um, you know, I was just telling somebody that we're doing a jive routine at our next competition. They're like, "How does somebody in a wheelchair do jive?" But it's all about taking those steps that they would teach somebody who's standing and figuring out how to adapt them to somebody who's seated. Mm. And, and I, that's a good point that you, that you mentioned, Cheryl, in terms of, uh, so it is a, it, it is a combination. It's a, it's, and it's, so it's a very inclusive activity. Mm-hmm. So it, it, 
Uh, one partner is able-bodied and one partner is wheelchair in terms of the IPC standards? So there's different categories. So what we call a combine is the category that I compete in. And so combine is a, a standing partner with a seated partner. Mm -hmm. Then we also have duo. Now duo is two individuals who are in wheelchairs and that is a beautiful category to watch. Um, I would encourage anybody who's interested to uh, to go to YouTube and to and to um, to Google, you know, para dance, duo dance, or comedy dance, and you'll be able to see some of the fantastic routines and styles of dance that we're able to do. So those are two categories, and then there's also the um, the singles. So somebody could do a freestyle event and just be themselves out there, right? They could do a solo. That's men or women, right? So um, there are a lot of different categories that that people can compete in. And in terms of um, your your bid to go become part of 2028 Paralympics, would it be one, like, would it be duo? Would it be combi? Would it be freestyle? Would it be? A it would probably be all of those. So the para dance then, you know, is the actual sport that gets, that gets included. And that includes your combi, your duo and your, and your singles. So it would be all of those. So some of the challenges that, um, you know, they also had a bid to try to make it into the Paris games. Um, you know, one of the things is, is when you're, you're, uh, applying to be a new sport is that it has to be widely practiced, right? So, you know, wheelchair ballroom dancing is not really, they don't have a lot of participation from, you know, North America, Canada, the United States. So, you know, they need to increase their numbers of number of athletes that are participating. Um, currently, it is only a sport for wheelchair users. So, you know, people who are amputees and have other disabilities that don't use a wheelchair would not be an eligible athlete for these. So, so these are some of the challenges that we've met with in trying to become a new Paralympic sport. But, um, you know, the program that we do in Detroit, you know, I, I, I we really don't call it a paradance program. We call it an adaptive dance program because we have um, at our group lessons, we have two ballrooms going, we have a group of amputees, standing amputees who use a prosthetic who are learning to ballroom dance in the other ballroom. We have the wheelchair users. So there's no reason that amputee down the road could be included as a, as a, um, as a category. Um, right now, power wheelchairs do compete. So you can either be in a power a manual chair or a power chair, and you can compete in, in these different categories that I mentioned. Um, but you know, there's no reason even too that visually impaired athletes some down somewhere down the line could also compete in this sport. You know, we've we've seen it on Dancing with the Stars, right? We've seen someone who's hearing impaired, visually impaired, um, a little person compete. Um, they just haven't had somebody in a wheelchair yet competing. So um, if you know anybody at Dancing with the Stars, please tell them to call me because I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was going to ask that question because I think uh, that and from a from a mainstream media perspective, yes. are familiar with that show and have seen yes. uh, different abilities and disabilities featured on that right. show, but not wheelchairs. So that would yeah. probably go a long way too, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and so take me through the different, um, you know, like take me through walls in Foxtrot in each of the disciplines. Uh, like I said, I, I just love them. It's, it's just uh, the movement. It's so beautiful. Um, now my partner on the other hand, he's a young guy. He loves to do all of the Latin dances, which is your rumba, your cha-cha, your jive, your, uh, you know, your pasadoble. 
So he's been slowly wearing me down. Um, we just started competing in Latin this year. And I have to say, I am enjoying it because it's a little bit different than, than the waltzes of the foxtrot. The biggest difference is that when I'm when I'm competing in standard, and, and those are the dances that I mentioned, the, the Viennese waltzes, the foxtrot, I, we're in constantly in hold. And what I mean in being in hold is that he and I are connected at all times. We never lose connection with each other. In the Latin dances, we could be side by side doing our own thing and then come together and do spins. So it does allow you a little bit more freedom. Um, not to mention it's a whole lot faster too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when, when you are judged, what are some of the criteria you're judged on? You know, it's certainly your connection with your partner, your interpretation of the music, um, you know, um, many different things. You know, obviously your posture, how you hold yourself, uh, so there's a, there's many factors. And so do you have to have that musical? Do you have to have musicality then? You do, especially because when you, let's say for the, the competition that I compete in the category of combi. Um, so say that we go and we're competing in combi um, international standard, which is what I love. Uh, they, we are, we're on the floor with five, six different couples. And they just start playing a waltz or they start playing a Viennese waltz or a tango. You don't know what that music is. You have to understand, you know, the beats and the counts so that you're on time with the music because you they they could play anything. So mm. um, and then it's a little bit of playing, you know, dodging cars. You know, there is a line of dance that we follow, but um, you know, it can especially in Latin, uh, it can be get kind of crazy out there where where you're kind of dodging people and, and trying not to get in in their way. So so that that was one of my questions. And so you're on the you're on the uh, floor it with other mm -hmm. couples or contestants. Yes. And unless we're competing um, when we do uh, when we do uh, what we call freestyle and when he and I are together doing uh, it could be any style of dance. It could be it could be Bollywood. It could be lyrical. It could be mm -hmm. it could be hip hop. Um, then when we do those individual events, uh, we're the only couple out there. So then, you know, they have so many couples and each each one takes a turn. And it's three minutes that you have in the dance floor and then the next couple comes out. But when we are in, it's just like ballroom dancing competition, you know, when you have the Latin and the, and the standard, you're out there with many different couples on the floor. And so in rehearsal, do you know the music that you're uh, dancing to? Like I know you mentioned, we've, we've talked about Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Those uh, contestants know what, what music they're performing to. Right. So if we're doing freestyle or what we call show dance or freestyle, yes, because we pick that music and, and that's what we're going to dance to. But in those other events, um, you don't know. <laughs> you know, they give you the bars and they give you the measure. So you know, like how fast the music is going to be, but you don't know the actual song that's going to play. And so from a personal perspective, what do dancers need? Not Not from an equipment or anything perspective, but what are, what, what do, I guess, good dancers need in order to do well? You know, I always say that, you know, dancing, I, I don't dance with my feet. I dance with my heart. So, you know, you want to be able to sit, tell a story through dance, right? You want people to feel the emotion that you're feeling. So being able to do that through the music, you know, making, drawing people in and, and letting them feel, uh, interpreting the music, 
Um, those are things that you need. Um, you know, I when I first started, uh, you know, I'm a C6 incomplete quad. My my balance wasn't the greatest. Um, it, it's an it's an amazing sport. I'm using muscles that I never used in swimming before. So um, I've really gotten stronger in terms of my core and my balance through dance. Um, so you know, there's 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 many different things. Um, a lot of folks too like. Uh, I have trouble with my legs staying on the, the footrest. So we use different things like straps to keep either my legs together or my feet on the on the foot pedals. So um, so there's a few things that we do that we we help, you know, uh, you know, every disability is different. So you have to find out what works for you. And we, we focused on wheelchair dance, but you mentioned, you know, at your place, we have amputees and others. How what other adaptations have been uh, made? Uh, to engage other individuals with disabilities? So you really can't use an adaptation when you compete, but certainly, you know, when you come to our class, you know, in competition, um, you know, you go through a classification period. And if you do have things like you need a strap to keep your feet down or, or your legs together, they do allow those types of adaptations. So those are a few things. Um, a lot of the, the wheelchairs, especially in the, there's only two classifications. There's class one and there's class two. Um, class, I compete in the class one, so I'm a quadriplegic. Um, and most of the, the higher level uh, or the lower level injuries your paraplegics are in the class two. Um, so in, in my class, a lot of the athletes have a third wheel on their, um, their wheelchair. So it prevents us from tipping backwards or, mm. you know, um, helps, you know, helps with our balance and stuff like that. So. And then um, like in, in adaptive dance, um, how have you been able to engage, you know, amputees or, uh, individuals with you know that are that are blind or with visual impairments. Yeah, so I'm really fortunate that my everyday job is that I work for Rehabilitation Institute of Michigan, and so we are a large rehab hospital that um, works with individuals who are newly injured after having amputation, a brain injury, spinal cord injury, stroke. So I do a lot of my recruiting just from the patients that that I get to interact with. You know, um, once they're discharged from the hospital, they're they're looking for those types of community. Um, programs where they can get involved, meet other people who have similar disabilities. So uh, I've been really able to recruit a lot just with the other hat that I wear. And then, you know, I also work in marketing. So, I mean, I, I, I get the word out through social media and so and through other avenues um, to be able to kind of spread the word. And then once those people start coming, they enjoy it. They start telling their friends and their families. So uh, so it really is kind of a word of, word of mouth grassroots effort. And, and we mentioned or, or discussed freedom, but mm -hmm. wh what else from a personal uh, perspective does an individual get out of being able to, to be a part of dance? You know, so many of the adaptive sports, you know, I know a lot of my friends that play basketball and other sports. It's something that they do with other people who have a disability. The great thing about dance is if you have a boyfriend or you have a spouse, this is something that you can do with them, right? Or if you just want to go to a wedding and to be able to dance, have the confidence to do that, or go to you know a club with your friends, um, it gives you that kind of confidence, and it's like something that you can do with other people, which is great. And uh, you know, when I first started the 
co-founded the program, I thought that it would be all of my girlfriends coming to dance. And sometimes I look around class and we have more guys in class than we actually do women. So, um, so it's great to see that. And uh, like I said, uh, it's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't love to dance? I mean, once you put on music, you can't help smiling and, and, and feeling good. <laughs> and Cheryl, is there anything else that we that I've not asked you about that you'd like to mention anything important that we've not covered? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot. I mean, I, I think another reason I'm enjoying it so much is I was a swimmer for such a long time. And this is like completely different. You know, swimming was an individual sport. And now I have to learn to work with a partner. And, you know, as a swimmer, I was always wet, smelled like chlorine. And now I'm like in this beautiful dancing with the stars world with glitter and rhinestones and makeup and hair and spray tan. So it's just a completely different experience. And, um, and it's just something that I'm loving and I'm so happy that I get the opportunity now to share it through other people through, um, through dance mobility and the other things that we're doing. So, um, we're fortunate enough to be able to compete all over the U S and internationally. Um, it's been a tough go with, uh, with COVID. We're looking forward to getting back to international competition, hopefully next year. And, um, we have a, Competition coming up um, next next month at Ohio Star Ball, which is one of the biggest ballroom dance competitions mm. in North America, and it's the first one that we've done since COVID. So it, it's it's been three long years that I've been waiting to compete again. So I'm really excited about that. That that does lead me to a follow up question in terms of just the competition opportunity. So mm-hmm. you mentioned how how often would uh, are the competitions around the country or even inter- internationally? Yeah, so you could go to the um, the um, Para Dance World Para Dance uh, website, and you can see a list of the international competitions. And then there's all kinds of competitions here in the United States. Um, when my, however, when my partner and I compete here domestically, we're always competing against standing partners because there's not a whole lot of people in wheelchairs who are competing. Um, this past summer, I might want to mention is we hosted our very first Para Dance competition in the United States. Um, the Dance Mobility Program and the Fred Astaire Dance Studio in Michigan, along with the RIM Foundation, who is our funding partner, came together and we had the first inaugural competition in July here in the Motor City. So um, we're super excited and we are in the planning stages now of doing our first international competition. So all of these countries, you know, um, that that we always travel to Europe, they are super excited to be able to come to the United States and to be able to dance. And uh, we're looking to host that in uh, 2024. So we, we're, we've got a venue and uh, we're super excited that um, we hopefully that it, it will see more people will be able to experience here in the United States and then have an opportunity for, for these countries to see what America is all about. <laughs> That's awesome. And that'll help, yeah. help grow the sport as well. Uh, yes. So how do people, uh, what is your website for Dance Mobility? Yeah, so they can go to dancemobility.org. And uh, there's a uh, contact uh, and it is my is my email. So if they'd love to get in touch with me and love to hear more or have me help them find a studio near them, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> 